Welcome back to another episode of Bobcast. Before I get to the interview, I'd like to introduce us to our guest. Today, our guest is Max Hanratty, professional race car driver. Max started at the age of 18, whereas most drivers start in childhood, but he had a knack for the sport and in the last 15 years has been able to elevate to the national, international, and world stage. Max has driven Formula, IndyCar, and now drives for IMSA, which is one of the largest racing divisions in the world owned by NASCAR. In the conversation, we dive into what it's like to crash one of these cars at 120 miles per hour, what it costs to fix a car of this level, and also what it's like to race going 200 miles an hour around a track professionally for your full-time job. Max is also an entrepreneur, and we dive into that later in the episode. A lot of nuggets here for you. Really enjoyed the conversation with Max, so I, I appreciate you tuning in. And the only thing I ask of you is to subscribe, follow, and share the show. That is how we grow. I'm Sully, this is Bobcast, and please enjoy this interview with Max Hanratty. Max Hanratty, how are you, my brother? I'm good, man. I'm good. All's well. Dude, I hit you up on the LinkedIn. That's it. It's I great. got you, man. You got me. Great, great for <laughs> connecting. That's what I'm there for. Dude, amazing. We're going to go into that. Um, yeah. So people already, if you you know went through the intro for a minute, they know your background. If not, you can go back. But I want to start off like, so you're a driver um, in our culture today. Most drivers drive Uber and Lyft and things like that, right? <laughs> like if you say driver, yeah. it's like, I'm an Uber driver. I'm yeah, Uber yeah, driver. of course. Obviously, that is a, you know, not even with a, a percent of a 1% of 1% of what you do, but you are a professional driver. Yep. And so what do you think, how can you introduce what you do to somebody who might not know anything about professional driving? They might see NASCAR, maybe yeah. they know F1, especially with the F1 series on mm -hmm. Netflix, which I really enjoyed watching. But like, what is your occupation? Like, how do you look at it? Yeah. I'm, ex I'm curious to see how you think about it. And hey, if we go deep in a car talk, it is what it is. This is a podcast, <laughs> right? That's what it's for. Yeah. But I would love for you to describe it if you don't mind. And then you know the deal, man. We're just going to let the conversation yeah. rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of things, it's one of those things as a fan, you, you from the outside, you look in and you're like, damn, that looks awesome. But that looks easy, right? You're sitting in the stands, you're seeing like a car go around. You're like, why isn't he going faster? Like, it's not that hard to go faster. Like, just put your foot down and go and do it. But like what I learned when I got into it, I knew nothing. So I, I didn't even know like the basics of the the sport. I didn't know what understeer was when, you know, you, you turn the wheel and nothing happens or oversteer when you turn the wheel and the back end wants to spin out on you. I didn't know those basic fundamentals. And that's what really fascinated me about racing is as I got into it, I got more immersed with what's going on within the race car, but also outside of the race car. The things like sponsorship, having to, you know, put deals together to get yourself on track, to pay the crew to be there. Stuff like engineering, like looking at all these little squiggly lines of data that we have in the car and like making sense of it and understanding it and being like, you know, what can I do with this to go faster? Like, hey, my teammate who I'm driving with is braking 100 feet later, so the car can do it. So I need to get my ass in there and I need to do it, that sort of thing. So. I just loved like all the different aspects of it that come together to make this race car go. It's not just, you know, like driver getting in the car, buckling in and going. It's a, an army of mechanics. It's public relations team. It's a truck driver that gets your car there. It's the the track marshals. It's, you know, all these these pieces that come together to, to put you on track. And I, I find that fascinating, like everything that's at stake and, you know, everyone that's just there to make sure that you have this opportunity to drive a race car. I think it's amazing. So do you 
time the tire people? How do you tell how good the tire people are? Like, do they time themselves? How do they get so fast? How do they do that so fast? So we have a, a minimum time that it takes to fuel the car. Um, so it takes about 40 seconds, 45 seconds to um, go from empty to a full tank of fuel. Um, but what's unique about my type of racing that you don't see in NASCAR or Formula One is we do driver changes. Um, so it's like a relay. So I will do like two hours and I'll come in for a pit stop. Got it. And while they're changing the tires, while they're putting fuel in the car, I'll have to unplug my radio, take out my steering wheel, put it on top, unbuckle, and then I have to get out of this little cockpit through this like skinny little window. My teammates got to hop in, buckle up, plug his radio in, get his drinking tube, everything, and get ready to burn out. And we have to do that all in under 40 seconds. So not only are the tire... You know, the, the mechanics and the tire guys really going as fast as they can. But as drivers, we got to we got to be nimble. Like you're you're absolutely toasted after two hours. And now you got to get your ass out of this car so your driver can get in. And every second over that 45 second mark that you go is time you're, you're losing on track. And that's, you know, more times than not, the difference between winning and losing races. It's very interesting in terms of the presentation of certain sports. You look at MMA and you're like, realistically i can't beat somebody up if i don't know mma or wrestling or boxing like i'm basically yeah. screwed when you look at a sport like yours it's like i drive a car this guy's driving a car they're driving a car it has power brakes it has power <laughs> steering it's the same i hit the gas and it goes i yeah. i don't it's automatic mm -hmm. i don't have to shift gears like actually let's just talk about first what types of cars you drive yeah and then i definitely want to go into the physical aspect of it and really the the sport the yep. aspect of driving which i yep. think is especially with the general public heavily uh underexposed i would say yeah 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 so i started out driving similar to like formula one like junior level of those types of cars fast forward a couple of years i started racing le mans prototypes they kind of look like a, a spaceship a batmobile they're all carbon fiber you got the driver on the left side you're in there and it's kind of like a formula car but like covering the wheels on it that sort of thing okay. so what would those be called so in case we want to pull it up so it would be called the le mans prototype is le like mans the prototype. general um name of it i right now currently race a decane chassis which is a french chassis and we have a nissan v8 power plant in the back nice man the thing goes so fast i always say when you're out there driving your foot and your mind they don't always work together mm -hmm. So like you're telling yourself to like brake later because you're like seeing the track run out and your mind's like, fuck, we're going to die if we don't you know, hit the brake right now. Yep, yep. So there's times where I got to like talk to myself in my head. I got to be like, don't you press that brake. And you got to like get like it, it's just really weird because your foot will just go like you won't tell it to, but it'll just go because it's like survival. Do you um, think you so have any like do you, is that does that have anything to do with habits of just driving for just in normal life? Like are those automatic reactions that happened because of just you've driven on roads? I think there's like a, a baseline of that. Okay. Like, I think that kind of sets a baseline, but it, it's it's hard for me at least to connect to like driving a streetcar and, and mm. racing because mm. when I'm driving my streetcar, I, I don't go fast. I just get from point A to point B and try and do it safely. It's, yep. you know, not a controlled environment. But when I'm racing, it's like, I don't care if I die. It is like, it is like I will go out there and, I, you know, I just want to be a beast and I just want to like be, be on that ragged edge and be uncomfortable. And, and somebody, I mean everybody else around you 
has that mindset, right? Yeah. So it's like fighting or something where it's, I'm trying to kill you, you're trying to kill me. Yeah. It's just, that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, in your case, it's I'm trying to win, you're trying to win. Yeah. It's not like nobody's going out going, hey, hope we grab third. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, and that, that, that's the amazing thing. Like we have drivers from maybe like 10 countries that are on track at one time, if not more than that. And at the end of the day, everyone wants the same thing. Everyone wants to win. And at the end of the day, there's going to be 30, 40 disappointed drivers going home, you know, without that win. So that's always like something that's a hard pill to swallow at times. And it's something that, you know, a lot of times more than not, you don't win. And you just got to use that to like, how do I learn from this? How do I get better? And when you do win, it's such a high, high, but there's so many low lows along the way too. I want to talk about some notable, um, races but i don't want to gloss over your background uh I, we don't have to spend a ton of time there but yeah so only because specifically you got into racing differently than i'd say probably in the 90th percentile of people i think most people are like my friend jenna yeah who i was telling you about she's been on the podcast a couple times since she was five six years old within that range mm -hmm. parents brother raced all that type of stuff so this doesn't seem if you told me your story, I'm like, it doesn't seem practical that yeah. you got into this at 18. Yeah. You know, and just ended up doing it. And it happens. Right. But so how did that happen for you? Uh, yeah, it was really random, like out of left field. So my dad, the way back in the day, did a three day racing school with Skip Barber. It's like one of the main like standardized like racing schools in North America. And for a graduation gift from high school, he's like, you know, I did this class back in the day. It was really fun. I just want to get this for you as a gift, like a fun thing. And, and I did it and it was, it was terrifying. It, I was horrible at it. I was lifting on the straights because I was afraid. Well, to, explain a little bit about that experience. Like, what are you doing? So you don't have profession, any driving experience other than yeah. the road. Then you go to some kind of track and they put you in a car. Like, what is this? Can yeah. Talk about it. You do a couple days, like a day or half a day of, okay, here are the fundamentals. Here are the rules, that sort of so thing. So they're teaching you yeah. and there's pros there that are people that are experts. There's at, pros yeah. like that sort of thing. Um, and I actually have a really funny story regarding that. It's like my first time ever in a race car is after these classes. I'm going to glass of wine Yeah, let's, too, let's get some wine going. Um, so after this, um, you know, after this like whiteboard session we do to kind of learn the fundamentals, that sort of thing, it's like finally time to get in the car. But there's this crazy buildup just from, you know, thank you from. Uh, Thanks for the wine, brother. <laughs> of course, of course. This is one of my favorites from uh, Napa Valley. But uh, yeah, so you're like, there's all this buildup. You can't wait to get in the car. You wait your turn. And, and, and by the time I got in the car, I was the second group. So the group before us went out. They did some laps. The driver comes in. We kind of park in a line. And what I didn't know was the driver left the car in reverse. And I didn't know this yet. This is my first time in the car. I'm like, I got butterflies. Is this a manual, like a manual? Oh car? yeah, this is okay, like clutch, it, like it, manual it. shifter on this. And when you side. leave it in reverse, I'll let you tell the story. Yeah, but um, anyway, we don't have. It doesn't say what gear you're in because these are like very old school cars. And and we're getting ready to go. The car in front of me goes, 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 and then it's my turn. I I give it gas. I drop the clutch and smash into the car behind me. Directly behind me, I crash immediately. So I always tell people I started my racing career in reverse which is um, as embarrassing as it gets start, starting like that. But but did they, those cars probably got a little beat up. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. It, it wasn't like ma any major damage, but, that, but I have it was more my pride. <laughs> done that in my own car. Yeah. I've hit a, like, thank God not hit anything. Like I've yeah. hit like a curb or something yeah. of just starting it when it was in first and not realizing and being an idiot. And even <laughs> that I feel like extreme embarrassment and anxiety mm. so i can't imagine you getting in this profession it's not like you're thinking yeah man this car's whatever i can yeah. smash this baby up <laughs> it's like kind of fucking nerve-wracking yeah to be exactly with you. yeah yeah so that was really embarrassing and that kind of set the tone but 
to like see where things got over the years to where I started is is quite amazing. Like it's I don't even have like words to put it in, like how bad I was when I started, like as bad as you could possibly be. And to get to a level like this, you know, throughout the years has been amazing. Just the people I had around me, the other drivers, the coaches I had, that sort of thing that really helped like raise me up to a high level quickly. It was really cool to just like make those progressions and just like get to a place where we're actually competitive in a race car and doing big races. How much time from that day to I'm a professional driver, that's what I'm doing full time with my life. How much time would you say? I would say about uh, three to four years. So I did Holy some shit. I did some like junior series and I actually raced up in Canada for a few years and I had the best young teammates in the world. These are like kids that won like world karting championships at like eight years old, that sort of thing. So I had amazing drivers to learn from. I was chasing them always and I was always we had data in the car so I could see like how they were taking turns. We had videos. I was just a sponge. I was just trying to soak it up from these kids because these kids were younger than me by multiple years and they were better than me. And they had 15 years on you. 15 years on me. Yeah, the 15 year olds have like 10 years on me at this point. Literally. Right? So I don't know if, how familiar you are with Danica's story. Uh, I'd love to interview her one day. She's yeah, I, I love her story. But I, yeah, her parents like sent her like overseas to race like by herself. Yeah, like crazy shit. Like that's what parents did when they wanted their kids to become a race car driver. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And with you, it's like, let me just try to do this. So what did you think you were going to do with your life at 18? Uh, so I was um, enrolled in my first semester at University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. I thought I would do something in like business basically marketing. Basically Ivy League, dog. You know? Yeah, basically I mean. Ivy League. <laughs> super, I super went to smart. community college, bro, so yeah. <laughs> and state school, so yeah. I'm with you. I didn't know what the future was going to hold for me, but I just I knew I wanted to do something in business, something in marketing. And then this racing thing popped up and all of a sudden I couldn't make the minimum amount of classes. Mm -hmm. So I hit this fork in the road. It was, do you want to pursue this once in a lifetime, be a, try and be a professional race car driver? Or do you want to go to school, go to university in business and marketing and see where it brings you? And I think anyone with a pulse would take the direction that I did being the race car path. So I had to drop out of, out of college right after that first semester. And your parents didn't have a problem with that, though, because they were they were OK with you doing. I mean, your dad was in racing. And yeah. Did they expect you to really get after it like you did? Or I think they I think they saw the passion that I had for it. And I it think, was real. It wasn't just like yeah. hype. It was. Yeah, yeah, it was real. And I think they saw a path like, hey, let's give this like a couple of years. He can always go back to school. You know, we're in a position where we can use some of our resources to help get him started. And I'll always be grateful for that because they didn't have to do that. And they did. They took a chance. And, you know, it's been a great journey as a family, too. It's been really good just as a family traveling around to these races. My dad is as happy as he ever is when he is at the racetrack. And being able to see his son out there doing laps with, um, you know, some like IndyCar drivers, XF1 drivers, that sort of thing. It's just like a magical experience, I know, for him. So that, may, that drives me as well, yeah. is being able to do what I love. And if it makes the family happy and inspires them as well, then that's, you know, a win-win. Do you know what you do you have an idea of what you would have done? Like, did you want to go into a certain profession or anything when you were or do you didn't really because I personally, yeah. I didn't. Either. Yeah, I, I just I, really didn't know. I, yeah. I was I was a little lost, to be honest. I was hoping that through like university that I would find my way and like kind of gel and figure out where that would bring me someday. I really didn't know. It was a very kind of like a good time to make the pivot that I did. Myself, I have some, you know, parental support too, not in terms of like not really monetarily as much at times, obviously. Mm. Um, but a lot of people don't have that. Yeah. That's a big deal for yeah. sure, because it's very difficult if you don't have that or you don't have somebody 
else. And I think I'm just curious a lot of times with people of, I want to ask them what's stopping you, you know, especially if you find whether it's racing or you take a music production course online or you, your neighbor's an electrician and you do a couple hours with him on the weekends or, you know, like me, I worked at a mechanic shop two hours a day in high school. It's just like, what's stopping you? Yeah. What, you know, like Mm -hmm. just go. Yeah. People have a weird sense of comfortability and security, in my opinion. And it's very hard to break outside of their idea mm-hmm. of their security. Yeah. When in reality, nothing's secure. Yeah. You know, nothing's guaranteed at all. Yeah. Life, the next second. Yep. Do you think that over the years, your perspective on life has changed? Like, you have to probably have, I would assume, some gratitude towards that once you think, like, I literally race cars. Like, it's a job, but yeah. I literally race cars. Yeah, 100%. You know, I had some support from family, and I'm forever grateful for that. I wouldn't have had these opportunities, not only with racing, but with the business, just being able to know that, hey, if this doesn't work out, like, I'm going to have a, a roof over my head. I'm going to mm-hmm. be able to, you know, have food on the table. Just like that alone, I think, is such an advantage. And I think that's where a lot of people become scared, because some people are truly scrapping to to put a roof over their head, to pay their bills, to food on the table and it's it's hard to to dive into something else and, and take that leap because if it doesn't work out that could put you in a very difficult situation but what i will say is you don't always have to go all in right like you said like you can dabble you can a couple hours here like that's doable that's not gonna change the trajectory of you being able to like pay your bills and put a roof over your head right but it's gonna give you experience it's gonna give you opportunities right that might lead into more and and i think you know where i had some privilege was i was able to really dive all in and I think other people maybe don't, you know, have the comfortability in their life to do that. So that's something I'm, I'm really grateful for. And, um, you know, always try to use the platform for good things and to inspire others and to see where it goes. And you created a product, too, that we'll get to. Uh, and, yeah, I, I, I just it's on the racetrack. Everybody's trying to win. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you came from nothing if your parents supported you if they didn't if you Mm -hmm. have one parent or two or zero if you it at the end of the day that's the great thing about sports it's the equalizer yep it doesn't matter if you're in the nfl and they're pumping you up on any other thing it's about which team scores the most that's i think uh a pretty good somewhat of a lesson too of i think people are jealous of other people's lot in life you know i think they focus their energy on that yeah and it's like, dude, if you don't have what they have, you don't have it. You're like, move on. You know? Yeah. Because on the racetrack or in the fight or on the basketball court or yeah. in the podcast game, even in the podcast game, there's this podcast. And then if you're watching on YouTube right now in the suggestions, those suggestions right next to you are all based on everything that you love. Mm-hmm. I'm competing with Joe Rogan, Burt Kreischer, Tom Segura. Like, this is fucking the game, dude. <laughs> this is the game. Like, people act like their things should just work. That's why I, I wanted to paint that picture too of like, yeah, sure, we all get different types of help, whether you believe whether it's God or if that's what you believe in or whatever, but whatever game you're in, you're either at the top of the game or you're not. You know? Yeah. And I think that's a decent lesson there. In terms of notable races for mm-hmm. you, something that comes up, maybe an earlier race, so we can continue on our timeline. Yeah. Is there a race that is the the race for you that is the most uh, concrete memory in your mind. Yeah, there, there's one that's um, an obvious number one for me. The 12 Hours of Sebring is one of the most historic, oldest races in the world. And it's one of the top motorsport events in the world. You get a couple hundred thousand people there. I actually did a race the weekend before on the streets of St. Petersburg, Florida. 
they literally closed the downtown area and were racing on the streets of a city. Um, and Let's I see if we can get video of that. What's that called? Uh, so that's the Grand Prix of uh, St. Petersburg. Okay, St. Yeah. Petersburg Grand Prix. Thanks, yeah. Brandon. Got that. Well, I did that race the weekend before. We, you know, we did pretty good. And I'm on my way to the airport, and I get a call from a team. And the 12 hours of Sebring happens to be the next uh, weekend. I get a call from a team saying, "Hey, we really need a third driver. Are you available?" Yeah. And I literally, as I'm on my way to the airport, I turn and I go to straight to the track, and I meet the team. I get fitted in the car that sort of thing. And I team up with these other two young drivers, another American, a Canadian. And um, this is in a open cockpit prototype. So like what I drive now, except open cockpit, like your head's exposed, like in a Formula One car. But this race is known for being, even though it's not 24 hours, it's 12. It's, it's very bumpy and it's very hot. Mm. So it's known for just being so physically demanding. But crazy story. We had a, f- a fuel cell in the car, which is like where the gas is stored. We had a leak in this fuel cell we had fuel going into the cockpit of the car where you're sitting where we're sitting to the point where my teammate had chemical burns on his butt i had chemical burns on my ankles and we knew something was going on we just didn't know exactly what but like when you would break you know the force going forward would bring gas to the pedal box and why we kept going i don't know it's beyond me because with all the electronics you have like fuel the heat things that can go wrong with fuel leaking in the car it's just a re- an absolutely dangerous thing to do and uh, mental, to be honest. And we wanted to win so bad that we knew that we knew something <laughs> funky was going on and we did not care even a little bit. We had an amazing race, neck and neck with this other team. We ended up finishing second um, in our class and we finished fifth overall, which is um, just an amazing finish for you know someone with my level of experience working my way up and that I'll, I'll never forget standing on that podium with that trophy and giving that to my dad after it was just like a very, very special moment. I'll never forget. That's incredible, man. Yeah. And I feel like you guys probably, I mean, what were you going to do? Just be like, Oh, we're done. It smells like gas. You know, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I know. Like, exactly. There, there not, I wouldn't do it again. Like, like if said, I was out would, there, I'd do you, it again. If you weren't, you being in the car means you would die for it. I, I would die for it. I, yeah. I hope my mom's not listening or my girlfriend. But well, that's I the would. reality. They know. They see you getting in the car. Yeah. yeah. Um, is it dangerous? A dangerous sport? Or or, um, or, or even in your class? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's always dangers. There, there's fires that can happen. I mean, you're going 190 miles an hour. There's just things that can go wrong. 190. 190, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, but what, what I will say is the safety of the cars nowadays versus like back in uh let's say 50 years ago there was a one in four chance you would die every time you stepped in the car 25 percent of the drivers on that field would die in a year because their car would explode and the safety was so bad they just they wouldn't survive it um now like i've I've hit a wall going 120 miles an hour head on and i've walked away like nothing happened so it's just like a testament to the innovation the safety innovation on track and how that's gotten to where it has um throughout the years how'd you hit a wall uh, i had a suspension failure so it was oh, a, a turn you're is going, it a coil spring or airbag when it, how how's the we, d- we don't know what it was because the car got destroyed in the, with the impact so when you go back to like do like to look at what happened oh we what, don't know what type of suspension do they have is what i'm asking uh we have like the uh the, like wishbone two on top two on bottom and there's with a, the co- it's a coil spring in in, in a it? coil spring okay, yeah. got it got it got it yep so yeah, I had a suspension failure. You're going like 140 miles an hour downhill, and then there's a sharp right uphill, and I went to turn right, and I saw a puff come out of the front left, and I turned, and nothing happened, and I just darted straight into the wall head on. And, going uh, 120. 120. And um, what I, did, did you think anything in that moment, or no? There was just like, 
like I turned the wheel and like I, I carried the same speed I did the lap before and I'm like why is it not turning and then the funny thing the first thing you do when you know you're going to crash you take your hands off the steering wheel is the first thing you do which is a really weird thing to teach yourself so I knew I wasn't making that turn no matter what there was no saving it I call it the point of no return and what you do is you take your hands off and you just put them on your chest because when the when the car hits the wheels turn which turns the wheel on the car so if you have your hand here it'll snap your wrist it'll turn and like actually break your wrist that's happened to a lot of drivers really weird thing when you know you can't save it hands off let it happen is there people in your headphones at this time as well once things when things like this happen or when this happens they're like max are you okay max max and sometimes the radio cuts out and breaks in that scenario so you can't communicate with the pit box but there's always like the video broadcast right so the first thing you look for is like if that driver gets out of the car you know he's okay like what you don't want to see is like all right, that car's been sitting there for a while and, not, and there's no movement. That's when it's scary. That's when the whole paddock gets Have you seen quiet. a bad accident? I've seen people die at the track. Unfortunately, I was doing a race about two years ago and an older gentleman that was racing had a heart attack out on track. Actually, a really crazy story. I'm standing up on the pit wall. I'm getting in the car next. We see this car coming down pit lane. It crashes in pit lane and everyone's really confused on like what's happening because that's very odd and I don't know what's going on. I'm focused. I'm getting ready to get in the car, but I see them carry basically a lifeless body out of the car. I have to tell you like the chills I got when I saw that, like getting in the car and having to focus and do my job was a very, very difficult thing. And this was like, we all want to beat each other, but we love each other as drivers, right? Like there's people that drive you crazy, but we love each other. We all have the same goal. We have the same like passion out there. And to see, you know, someone who you respect and care about have something like that happen to you is just like, that was one of those, like, it wasn't like a racing incident. It, it was a kind of a freak accident, but that stuff's like always shakes the whole paddock. Is there a, yeah, it's not like it's podcasting, you know what I'm saying? Like, most of us don't. <laughs> Lost a few good mind uh, yeah. podcasts. Uh, probably one or two, yeah. Uh, depending, yeah. <laughs> Couple heart attacks. Yeah. Uh, same, yeah. same deal. Same, same risk, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Is there a detachment kind of from reality when you're in a car doing 190? Like, you just have a level of focus throughout a race that, yeah. I mean, it seems insane to hold that focus for two hours, even though that's what you do. But is it mostly thoughtless? What's going on in your head? Yeah, so I love to talk about flow because mm -hmm. I think that's what makes like the, a Michael Jordan a Michael Jordan is like they get in these flow states and it's just like, it's what we all strive for because it's the greatest feeling in the world. It's just so hard to get there. But that's what really sparked my passion for like race. Year two when I was doing it, I got in this unreal flow state. I literally went from being like back of the pack to beating like some of the best drivers in the world at my level. I was literally watching my body like from a GoPro, it felt like, and everything was like a tunnel and it was like slow motion. And I was on the ragged edge of this race car and I was just like dancing with this thing. And I didn't have to think about a thing. It was just happening. I got in this like loop and this loop just kept going and kept going. And it was like the most magical feeling in the world. And I like to think that that moment was like what I've been searching for ever since. I just want to get back in that place. It's like a drug. It's, it's an amazing feeling. And it's something that I found in racing. And, and when I used to play basketball, I found that every now and then, but it was just so surreal in this moment that it's, you know, something I'm striving for and like other aspects of life too. flow state. Yeah, it's almost out of body a little bit. It is out of body. Yeah. That's why like, you don't, you wouldn't think that there's so much of an overlap between like art and racing. Yep. And that's what you feel when you make great art. Yeah. Is that it's not you. Yep. And I think that some people call it 
they call it anything, right? Mm. I call it the muse, right? Mm. Stephen Pressfield has this idea. Not sure if you've read the book, The War of Art, but he has this idea of resistance, right? Mm. Like we all, anything that keeps us from doing our work is resistance, sex, Mm. drugs, you know, uh, phone, whatever it is, right? And then he has this idea of the muse and the muse comes to you when you overcome resistance. Yeah. And that's your reward for overcoming resistance. And the muse comes to you. And then that's what allows you to make art or writing or whatever it is. Cause you're kind of channeling yeah. something else. I think it's similar. Yeah. hundred percent. You're, you have a physical, this might be more, maybe art's more of a mental, but it's all kind of the same in terms of you're in a different, it's like an, it is an out of body experience. At least yeah. that one was an out of, but that must've yeah. tripped you out afterwards getting out of the car of like, or like once that's over. Yeah. Then you're like, what was that? Yeah, no, it was like, I just, I was looking back on it for days and days and days. <laughs> and then I, then I started to like analyze leading up to it. How was I different than other days? What caused me to get to this place? And I told you we have data in the car. I was always messing up one turn and that's why I wasn't qualifying well. And I got so sick of having the skill set to be number one and not doing it, that there was this like beast in me that just like clicked and there was no thought about what could happen, this or that. It was, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be the fastest car and like nothing on the face of this planet is going to stop me. And it was this just like overwhelming, like courage inside of me, this burning desire to do that. And I think that's what really drove it to be as like memorable as like an amazing of an experience as it was, was yeah. like what led up to it. Yeah. It's not winning that gets you motivated. Yeah. I mean, at least not me. <laughs> the process. It's that one fucking turn, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's that one edit I got to perfect or that one yeah. thing or that one mix from one song to the other. Yep. That pisses you off and you go, I got to get it this time. Yep. So do you do any work for that? Are you into meditation or mindset or personal development or any of these things? Yeah. So I, I do a lot of meditation and that sort of thing, but um, I've worked with this performance expert. I actually worked with him about eight years ago um, as a racing driver. He's helped like some of the best drivers in the world, like the Ayrton Senna is like really any big name driver that you can imagine this guy's worked with. And I went and did a course with him where you start to like understand like, hey, like my processor, my abilities are the same as these other amazing drivers. So what's holding me back? There's like a fear of failure. There's that sort of thing, right? You got to focus on the task at hand and that's all that matters. If you're worried about like what could happen or if you're worried about factors outside of your control that are leading to results, all that is just distracting from your performance, right? Like if you got 100% you can give on something and you got 100% on your performance, you have, you know, results and you have like factors outside of your control. If you're focused on these other factors, like that car is faster than me or like, hey, I'm in like eighth place, I'm sucking. Like you might be having the race of your life and finish eighth place. It's just how it works. It just might be the best that you could possibly bring on that given day. And that's an amazing, amazing th- way to put it, I think. He must be a lot of money. Yeah, it's not cheap. It was definitely an investment, um, you know, with the, the high sums of money that go into racing or something like, you know, you want your mind to be sharp. There's a lot of, a lot of mind games that are being played in racing because it's such a results-driven sport but you can't control results. So it's, um, it's one of those things and there's so much money behind it. So much, you know, that goes into it that like everyone is like, Hey, I need to be the best every time I need to be first. And you feel like a failure if you're not. And that's where people get in trouble because they start hyper-focusing on results. And, and that's not the answer. That's not going to make you a, a champion. So. so he was focused on breaking down like beliefs that you had, right? I guess. Or oh yeah. Can you he- talk a little bit about like 
exactly what he was doing? It was it like just a one-on-one talking session? Like what in in reality, what were you guys doing? So there was like uh, you would do a couple hours of tests. So we had all these like brain games you would do that would show like cognitive ability, like that sort of thing to to show like hey, this other driver who's a world champion had the same scores as you, maybe better, maybe worse. What makes him a world champion? Then you start to go into like, okay, let's start to think about the mind. Let's start to think about how you process stuff. Let's start to think about all those things that are going to be impacting your performance. And then you really dive into that. And then what I realized out of mind was like how much I was focusing on fear of failure, on results. Like I was so results focused. That was all that mattered to me. And then there's factors outside of your control as well. And I was, I was focused on all the wrong things. So he really helped you like understand how to shift your focus to the right things, being like the task at hand, the performance, you know, in the moment, that sort of thing, which ultimately drives results. Um, and, and that was a really big eye opener for me. But it, it was difficult because you go in there and it doesn't just fix you overnight. Right. It's like what a lot of people fail with when they go and do these courses is like they get really excited and they're like my life is going to change and they stop like putting the work in and then it fades and all of a sudden they don't do it anymore. So it took a long time. Like I'm 12 years into this program and I'm still working on it every day. So what are your, do you have rituals when you, before you go in a car, uh, anything like that, that he has you do around or that you do? One thing we like to do, we do a lot of visualization. So we'll drive a lap in our head and something that's crazy is a good driver can, like I could close my eyes and I could do a lap at a track and I could have you start a stopwatch. And I bet I could get within like two to three seconds of what an actual lap would be in the race car. So just to show you like how much visualization we do and like when you get in that zone. And muscle memory. And muscle memory. Yeah. Yeah. So that's always, um, you know, a a good thing to do. Good practice before you get in the car just to make it. Do you have a lucky sock or something or no? None of that. No. Or you're not so. uh, I'm not superstitious really. I try and stay away from that. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not, I don't do jewelry or any stuff. Like I've that. dabbled with superstition and it's, it's never made sense. So I kind of <laughs> just, <laughs> Oh dude, you're like me. Yeah. Wait, do you like logic? Cause I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm into logic. <laughs> the rapper. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> I like the rapper too. That too. What music do you listen to? I listen to like deep house. I like some hip hop. Okay. Left turn here folks, by the way. I have a lot of friends that are really like, there's some DJs and stuff and they're very talented and I don't try to be the DJ. I love to just like have people who are good at what they do, like make playlists and like kind of curate the night, that sort of thing. Um, I like a lot of different stuff depending on what I'm doing. Like I'm cooking versus if I'm like out wanting to party or, you know, whatever it might be. I like like different kind of like vibes and and that sort of thing. Do you wish that you could listen to music in the car or do you not? Would you not want to do that even if you could? I would like to experiment with it. I think like, like when I'm doing like uh, computer work, I listen to like brain music, like that sort of stuff, like electronic that kind of get like is calm, but like gets you in like a, like a flow focused state. I'll be really curious to see like what would happen in the car if I did that. And if we like found our sweet spot, but there's just like, you want to be able to hear everything like the engine, you want to be able to hear your team, that sort of thing. So is what's the loudest thing in the car, the engine over everything. Like you can hear that even over your, your headphones and everything, right? Yeah, so we have uh, noise-canceling headphones that go deep in our ears. There's a few things. There's the vibrations, 
when you're in this car, you're being like, sh- like imagine someone just shaking the hell out of you. Yeah, and this like, is a v- this is a V8 that's yeah. meant for very high RPM, very engines, high right? RPMs. But it's not like a street car that's like very soft suspension. Like this is very everything yeah. about it is stiff. So like, like a pebble is like, yeah, uh, you feel that. Yeah, I can feel every little like you name it. Like every little bump on the track is like, what and that's we feel. part of the almost part of the muscle memory a little bit, or part of the memorization slash visualization yeah. is those bumps in the track, and yeah. it kind of all comes together. Yeah, because something that's really important is like the driver engineer relationship, because at the end of the day, you have to do a dance with your engineer to get the car set up in a way. Is that like a mechanic you're saying? Or? So it's like we have our mechanics that like do the like the wrenching the on the actual, car, but the engineer this guy's is, like doing the uh, like air fuel and all that shit. Yeah, like the, the setup too, like okay. the suspension angles, like the angle, of the tires, like how much downforce we want to use, like all these different like adjustments that we can make. And there's different ways to accomplish the same thing. You can kind of mm-hmm. take some like rear arrow out and you can like stiffen I've up. I've played like Forza. The, you don't got to tell me. You know me. all the things. Forza yeah. 3, dog. Yeah. I just grew up on that shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun stuff. Same thing, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Livery. That's always what they said. Yeah. A new livery. I don't yeah. even know what the fuck that means. <laughs> the, 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 the stickers, right? The decal, the body. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so that's the... Oh, man, dude. How many kids with Audi A4s, dude, just yeah. put like a line of stickers on their right. fucking door, dude, yeah. and just ruined the value of that? <laughs> like, took the value yeah. down by a thousand bucks. Leaving just because like, you, and... you guys, just because you guys got to put your stickers on your car, you make all these dumbass kids. Yeah, think, right. <laughs> hey, someone's got to pay for it, right? You guys made it look cool. You weren't supposed to do that. I wish racing influenced car culture more. I wish that maybe not racing, but car culture has definitely changed. I was like a stance kid, like a scene stance kid like i had a stanced car and everything mm-hmm. and went to shows and did the whole nine but just because i wanted to hang out with people who had nicer cars than me yeah and, and i thought it made me cool it's really interesting that and i was just listening to a podcast about this it's like if you work out for like eight years mm-hmm. or 10 years or something and you're like this big guy and then you get hurt or something and you don't have that anymore people attach their identities to such weird yeah. things i'm going off here but it's <laughs> no, just no, interesting it. man yeah. it's interesting to me how we attach i mean you attach your identity to racing you know yeah. partially and i attach mine to podcasts yeah and brandon attaches his to video and you ever think about that if you didn't if it all was like you'd have dialed it down to you know run your business but yeah you gotta think and i think too i'm like damn if i wasn't able to do this shit yeah you purposely dialed it down yeah but also anything could happen mm-hmm. you know it's tough right it's like um kind of like the high school sports thing right like it's always a sad day because that might be the last time like a lot of people play competitive sports even like with me making some of these sacrifices with racing to work on the business that's tough man like right now my team that i race with is in daytona doing a 24-hour race and they're literally on the track right now and like i could have been there i should have been there like type thing but i had to make a tough choice to yeah. like focus so how on the do business. you make those choices uh, it was just um, something like the business is at a very like critical point and it needs all my attention. You know, we're a very small team and there's work that needs to be done. And although we try and tell ourselves we can do everything, like something always weakens because of that. And I just, that, that's that been happening for a couple of years, like trying to hang on to racing, like build the business. And we've got to a place where we have huge opportunities with the business and and the business could empower me to go racing, right? That is That's really the end goal is like, can I build this business up? Can I, can I go racing again? Right. And can I do it comfortably? So there's a mission. There's a, I want to be an astronaut like type mission here to like build the business and, and go racing and do it the right way. I like to call it the last couple of years have been very shoestring budget, very low budget, not a lot of practice. It costs a lot to practice, but people don't realize it's not like you pick up a soccer ball, you go to the stadium and you kick it around. It's like our car to operate for a day is like 20 grand, 20 for grand a day? for one day. You got, cause you got, how, how much is the car worth? 
the car is about half a million dollars. So you got, and then you got someone's got to own the assets. And you hit a wall with one of those. Yeah, I hit a wall. <laughs> Who pays for that repair? So, um, <laughs> so it's a little bit of sponsor. You don't have to go too far. We right? have insurance, okay. but um, I will say that's one of the things that people don't realize is like when you're a junior driver and you're coming up, you're responsible for your crash damage. So like you could be putting every dollar that you have into this and you could write off a $100,000 car. So is that what happens when people aren't pros is that it's like a totally bootstrapped thing? It's like, it's not like golf where, yeah, you got your own clubs and then yeah. that's it, boss. Like you just ran a golf cart and you're yeah. good. This is, the money's got to come from somewhere. And yeah. when you're earlier in your career, nobody knows you, so you can't get sponsors, but yeah. you need sponsors to get money. So then yeah. how do you get money? So you put your own money up. Yeah. So is that, there's a lot of like just hustle and grind and so coming much, up yeah. in the ranks of this. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways like drivers it's, it's family money is like one way, or there's um like a wealthy gentleman that takes a liking to a, a young driver and it's like, you know what, I have the means to do this. I want to help you like accomplish your dreams and I want to be there for the journey. Like I enjoy this, right? And then there's like a, a company, like a, a target that might, you know, take liking to a personality and say, hey, we want to support you throughout your career and, and that sort of thing. We love your personality. We think you represent our products well. So there's just so many different ways you can make it. But at the end of the day, one thing matters and that's money. You need money to, to drive a race car, no matter how you look at it. And some of the guys in Formula One at the very top level, are bringing you know twenty million dollars to get a seat. You have guys at the top level that are paying to be a part of a team at every level. It's like that. So, can you talk about Patron a little bit and that like experience? I don't know if that was a one on one of you working directly with them or if that was just the team. Yeah. But it's just interesting to have a tequila and you know, yeah. listen, I'm not a tequila guy. I'm more yeah. of a vodka and whiskey. <laughs> I can do it. I will say I feel better the next morning if I drink tequila. I don't know about you, yeah. but no, better than, than other alcohols. Yeah. Um, but but how was that experience and and maybe, you know, how did that come about? What was the car? What was when was that? Yeah, the so details? that was actually right when I made my transition from open wheel formula cars to sports car racing. I got connected with uh, Scott Sharp. He owned the race team Extreme Speed Motorsports. His dad was a legendary team owner back in the day. He used to run Paul Newman actually in uh, in sports cars, which is like really cool. But Scott ha has had an amazing racing career and he got connected with Ed Brown, who was the CEO of Patron. Um, so they kind of, you know, came together, created a team and and they had very, very good Patron funding as you would. Is that um, Mexican Patron? Is yeah. that Mexican? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Actually kind of a crazy story. Um, so I was in the junior program. I was in a level below and I was working my way up. They were at the top of the top in IMSA, which I always strive to be in and I still want to be in. I worked really hard to position myself to try and get to that top level. And Patron ends up selling to Bacardi for, I think it was $8 billion, $7 billion, something like that. So the team closed their doors the next year. I went from, you know, like, I'm going to invest in this team, this program. They believe in me. This is a good opportunity to get, like, accomplish my dream, get to the top level. And then, you know, things outside of your control happen like that, right? And the team closes their doors and now you're like, okay, I'm back to square one trying to develop a relationship with another program. And it's just, it's competitive. You're it's like a free easy. agent at that point. You're like a yeah, free agent, yeah. 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 So it, it ended up go? working out, but um, that was really like the last, like really good, like shot I had to like get up in that, you know, top level, like a very clear path. Like now it's going to be, you know, much more of an uphill battle, still doable, but um, yeah, that's just, you know, what we talk about with, you, you can't predict this stuff. You never know where it's going to go. No, it's impossible. Yeah. Dude. Is there a lot of, so the F1, 
you watch the show, yes, yeah. I, I presume. The show's the best thing that's happened to motorsports in 30 years. What? Dude, uh, shit, you might know more about this. What about the guy? It was like, was it a separate documentary with the guy who was an F1? I'm not going to be able to pull enough information out of my ass for this. <laughs> But it was something with a guy who bought a car that was it was a correct he was a it was like a uh, Ponzi scheme he was running or something I don't know does this ring bells with you yeah or not? so I, I think he actually raced in IMSA yeah no uh, way yeah well so I forgot the name of the documentary. Do you know he was like a he like cycling he I don't know yeah he's yeah a rich dude. Yeah, yeah. So I think he had like one of those like loan companies, like where you could like you know get <laughs> one paid. Of those, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. It was something that ended up he ended up going to jail for, yep. and um, he owned a, a race team within actually the series I race in, and um, I, f- I forget the name of the the Netflix documentary, but yeah, maybe he was one of the episodes. Yeah, I'm looking into. Yeah. It. So um, I, it was like Dirty Money or something um along those lines. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they always have good, I mean, not always. They don't yeah. always have good titles for documentaries. No, no. But if it's a good one, <laughs> it's Dirty Money. Usually it's a good title. <laughs> you know, it's like a Yeah. It's like an innuendo in that vein where I was going. Is there politics, drama, corruption, things like that? Is there things like that there has to be like I guess yeah, the question I really want to ask is like is it like what we see? The show is dramatized for sure, right? Yeah. But is it like that to be in a race? Is it just like the pressure and then the next team and they're like, there's a guy with an accent. Yeah. He's looking at, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, is it like, can you paint a picture of the experience of like being on a race team yeah. and what that's like and day in and day out? It's honestly worse than the documentary. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> we, we always say it's, um, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people say this about their industries, but we say it's the wild, wild west. Mm. Like everyone literally is trying to screw each other. Like there's some great people. There's some amazing people, but there's some very bad people too you know, that take advantage of people that don't do the right things that cheat that will make up rumors about other teams to try and discredit them so they can get drivers to come to them. Like there's a lot of dirty things that happen, like not just internally with race teams, but even with sponsors coming in and like what happens on track, there'll be like a scholarship where like you win $400,000 to go to the next level if you win this race and they will purposely crash a driver out um, to try and like, you know, avoid that. So it's just like, whatever it takes type thing and it's a very much wild wild west uh, i would say so it is like the show it is really there is it's pressurized yeah pressurized environment yeah so over here on my end it, so I, it is dirty money and i believe it's is it scott tucker was yeah scott, scott, the guy? scott tucker okay. yeah yeah gotcha gotcha yeah interesting i know exactly what he looks like he's in yeah. my head right now. <laughs> yeah i'll put him up on screen for you yeah that was an interesting by the way interesting documentary too um for anybody that that wants to uh dive into the corruption side just entertainment pure entertainment did anybody give you any bad advice on racing in the beginning or throughout your career not i'm not saying on purpose to mess you up but but was there any advice that that somebody gave you that you took and it didn't work or anything along those lines i think there's has been quite a bit of bad advice and i think it's because it's been like loaded situations like they run a race team and they want you to race for their team. So they want to discredit this person and tell you that they've led you in the wrong direction because they want to try and get you over here, get you to trust them, get you to spend your money with them instead of someone else. Right. So I would say there's been some bad advice like that. Then there's been good advice that I haven't listened to. And I wish I would have when I look back. On you it. learned. <laughs> I learned. I, I really did. There's like there's this thing with uh, moving up too fast, like. When you're moving up the ranks, you want to go like... And like, you moved up fast. I moved up very fast, but I probably... So you're naive because you move up fast because yeah. you just haven't seen, you don't have the experience. Yeah, like r- rule of thumb is like you should be winning championships before you move up. And I wasn't winning championships. I was doing well. So how'd you move up? 
just so, by connections and j- just by like yep. sponsorship oh, okay. and like finding opportunities and just you know being like right I, place right time yeah, I'm, I'm like ready for like an opportunity to drive this vehicle and that's not necessarily the wrong way like people have made it on that there's no right and wrong if you make it if you make it yeah but yeah that's one of the biggest mistakes that i made was like i just tried to move up too fast like i wish i would have stayed at lower levels for like a couple more years mm. and i think it would have positioned me better when i did make that leap um, it would have got you more, had you, you would have had more experience, more experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and you got to look at like seat time, like dollar per lap, like, and as you move up, the dollar per lap goes way up. Mm. So the more mistakes you can make and learnings, at, at per a, lap. <laughs> the more uh, uh, mistakes you can make at a lower level, right? The better. Cause you're spending a little bit of money to do it. So you can spend double the money here to learn double versus learn half, you know, at this level, spending a lot of money. Yes. So there's always that. I mean, perspective of it. And I don't know if what we did was right or wrong, but looking back, like that's one thing I might've changed a little bit. Yeah. So I don't know how far you want to go in on this either, but when you win a race or say that time you got second, as you mentioned, a lot of this costs a lot of money. Are you making money? Are you, if you win, like, how does that, how does that work? So most of my deals, I've taken a cut of the sponsorship. I've brought my own sponsorship broker deals and then pay myself a salary from and that's, that. And that's on the car just to paint, just yeah. to like on the car. Yeah. And like, it's a lot more than on the car. Like okay. you have to create, like we do like client hosting at the track. They get to bring out like VIPs, get like the behind the scenes, like treatment, which is really cool. The sticker on the car is like great in theory, but like there's a lot more to sponsorship than that. The best thing you can do is a B2B deal. The best thing you can do is like broker a deal where they both make a ton of money and you say, okay, how about we like promote the relationship here and we talk about it here yep. and you fund the racing. So that, that's the best way to do it. But I would say I've, I haven't made a ton of money fr- from racing. That's not, you know, I haven't made. You know. Yeah. I'm just curious more like just how money is flowed through in the yeah. sport. Right. Cause it's like NFL, NBA, MLB. Yeah. They're rolling, <laughs> rolling in the dough. Yeah. And you look at other professional sports. I know I this might sound weird. I don't know if you've ever made this uh, distinction or this uh, similarity, but it's kind of similar to golf a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Now we had we actually had like a, a driver that I drove with. His dad was like big into golf and would get like wined and dined at all the like PGA events. He's like, you guys think you have a rock star lifestyle. Like these golfers are <laughs> like absolutely crushing it. But uh, yeah, less, I, less calf work. Is yeah, well, less calf work. <laughs> I, w- I would say there's uh, there's some similarities to like that environment being like large. Because you're spaces. a solo guy on the yeah. track with everybody. That's golf. You're yeah. a solo guy on a course with everybody else. Yep. Um, fighting, uh, even though fighting is normally one on one, unless it's street fight, which doesn't count. Uh, but, but, but yeah, that's, it's, uh, I'm making these parallels because a friend of mine is a pro golfer yeah. has been for a while, but he's a pro golfer, but he's not PGA, but he's still pro. Yeah. If you're listening, Dan O'Rourke, you're the man, dude. Um, he's incredible. <laughs> you know, taught me how to putt, but you can be, there's these sports where you can be a professional, but you're not on TV. Yeah. Uh, disc golf. Yep. I mean, any of them. Mm-hmm. All the golfs. <laughs> All the golfs. Are like, lacrosse? There's actually yeah. not even, is there pro, I don't even think there's pro lacrosse. In I think the world. there's like occasionally like college lacrosse that they'll like broadcast like through one of the networks, but Just I haven't seen much. Just because they're like, come on guys, put us on TV for a second at yeah, least, right. you know? <laughs> Nobody's yeah. watching. Who, what would you rather watch? Women's basketball or pro lacrosse? I'd probably rather watch, or college lacrosse. WNBA, I'd probably rather watch college lacrosse than WNBA. I would as well. Just because once you see the NBA, you just see that athleticism and the play that they have. Like yeah. it's like saying like 
I want to watch F1 and then I want to go watch like a Prius, like do laps at the track. Like it's not the same. Like, Dude, I know. Yeah. I, for me, the WNBA thing, and you don't, you have a business, man. So don't feel like you got to add any opinions, but, um, or you have a real business. I just talk shit, but, um, <laughs> they're talking about all the like different wage gaps and all these professional sports. Yep. Does it not make sense that if the sport is based on ticket sales partially and yeah. sponsorships and yeah. viewership, that a event or sport with less viewership, sponsorships, and ticker sales, less sponsorships because of these lower metrics, would then incur less gross revenue. Does that make sense? Because yeah. I'm like, there's the WNBA is not pulling numbers. The the women's soccer is yeah. not pulling. No, there's more. There's women would rather women spectators would probably or viewers would probably rather watch the men. Yeah, right. So it's like that conversation seems weird. I just don't. What I'm saying is I think people should if you're in a game where you don't get paid based on your effort, yeah, then we have to have a different conversation. Yeah. You know? You gotta look at it as a business, right? If you're paying yeah. like WNBA players where you're paying NBA players, like there's just not enough money in the sport to do that, right? It just yeah. it doesn't work. And the NBA is not gonna like write them a check and say, you know, we want this to be equal. subsidize yeah. them. Like it you just, guys get a little bit. It doesn't work that the, way. But then that's weird. Then yeah. now we're making an exception because they're because they're in a different league. Yeah, no, yeah. I, d- I don't agree with that. I, I do think there's things that can be done. Like, if, if, you know, if we watch more of that, it creates more value for them, right? Like, that's great. Like, But, but I'm not watching it. But you're not watching it. No, <laughs> I wouldn't. I won't because I don't have a lot of time. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, no, that's true. Um, I'm barely watching sports as it is. You got to look at it as a business, right? Yes. Like, they're just their individual well, businesses doing different things. I agree yeah. with, but yeah. it's, it's this weird deserve thing that we have in this. It's like, dude, you're complaining about social justice issues on a iPhone made by slaves. Cool. Like that's your life. Like what you're doing doesn't make sense. You know, what people are doing doesn't make sense. And like, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but there's always more to it than what makes your emotional argument. Oh yeah. You know, it's like, there's always logical things that people just brush aside, but I just don't like the deserving this mentality of like, but they deserve it. It's yeah. like, no, they, they, they might totally deserve it. Yeah. But that's subjective. Yeah. You know, what's objective, the most objective I think is business. Yeah. You know? That's why I fuck with capitalism. Yeah. You know? but I like, mean, if, if you really break it down, it's a business and you can only <laughs> distribute the funds appropriately based on what you have coming in and the viewership and the sponsorship. And if you don't have that, then it is what it is. Right. It's true, man. Yeah. So that's a perfect transition. So, uh, MPH uh, is your initials. Yep. And so that was the, and you know, it's actually crazy that that's your, you've probably had that realization yeah. pretty early. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, not, not till like after I was 18 and started racing and like we were developing a logo for like my like racing, you kind of like develop a brand, that sort of thing. Like MPH. Hmm. This, makes, of, a lot, this makes a lot of sense. Kind of fits. Yeah. Can you start us at the beginning of that? Because I'm very interested to know because I'm in business as well, yeah. I would assume that there was something you saw in the market that just wasn't there or wasn't good enough. Is that true? Or Yeah, the biggest thing was I was putting these sponsorship deals together and I was so busy on these race weekends racing that I couldn't entertain my guests. They didn't have any easy way to find like an event schedule. They didn't know how to navigate these big, large outdoor venues. They're very big. They have all these different activations that come to life. They have tunnels, bridges, like they're like, you know, mile by mile, massive spaces. So, and I was trying to like put, organize these events and, and put information together. I'm like, there's just no event information. And there's a hundred thousand people that are going to be here. And that's where 
a light bulb went off. I'm like, I need to do something about this. That was step one. Step two, so my father works in uh, internet security and has for, for many years built a company out of his garage type thing. I was always looking for some of his partners to sponsor me. I would go through his list of partners. I would look at their products and services. I'd be like, okay, how can I use these in motorsports to create a story so we can market it and I can get a sponsorship deal? And that's when I stumbled uh, upon Aruba Networks, who is owned by Hewlett Packard Enterprise. They had this really cool office space solution. It was like retail office space, airports, like zoos. It was this app maker. So you could create an app in like a day and you had these very interactive maps. And I'm like, this would be perfect for the racetrack. I ended up like getting connected there through um, someone who used to work for my dad who worked at Hewlett Packard. And we started having some discussions and they're like, wow, that's interesting. This is a space we haven't really, you know, played in. They really gave me a lot of resources and a lot of freedom to use their platform and start to build something. And, and that's really how it all, all, how everything started about five years ago. So the first thing you have to do is design the app. Okay, yeah, so the problem that you're solving is, makes sense. If you've never been to one of these tracks, you don't understand. Yeah. You know, I, I haven't, but mm -hmm. I just know from the video. Like, yeah. I just know from people who are F1 it's fans. It's like going to a concert, like a festival, a, a fair, like it's a bigger, concert. It's ba way bigger than yeah. that, too, yeah. I would say. Yeah. And, yeah, it's like... It's like Woodstock 99, dude. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like that. <laughs> chaos, dude. Yeah, chaos, chaos. Just chaos. without as many kegs. <laughs> mm, that's it. <laughs> but uh, so, so yeah. So for people who don't, because like everybody listening, maybe except yeah. some of your people haven't been to any of these Le Mans or you name it. Yeah. So these tracks are so big. And so you're making a, basically what, it's like a location app that allows you to actually figure out where things are. Yeah. It's just incredible that, that like that's, like a big problem where it's yeah. these racetracks are so big that we yeah. have people just don't know where to go. Yeah, it's like exactly. kind of a, I'm not trying to like simplify it, but yeah. it's kind of a simple idea, you know? It's so of, simple. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like a Google map for your event. Yep. That's what it is. Like to, it's like not having all the other noise of Google maps, nice, clean interface. Or Waze. Waze, Waze is ridiculous yeah. with ads. What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so do you see, and I assume you see other applications for not just racetracks, I, I would I would think maybe later down the line, but yeah. but similarities with stadiums and, you know, maybe stadiums are, are, are a little bit easier in terms yeah. of it's like a oval, but yeah, I could see that with any large, a campus even, college yep. campus. Yep. Yeah, there's just something about the visual. Mm -hmm. There's something about a visual, like, like, sure, I had a map of my campus, but if I had an interactive map that showed me that there's a pop-up shop, because yep. at college, there would be these pop-up shops. Mm -hmm. They were really cool. There were food trucks and stuff. If you could just populate it and it would be real time, yeah. bloop, here's this thing. So that, that's exactly what we've done is we've created, like, called the Squarespace, what Squarespace did for websites, we've created for events. So we have, like, a we call it a CMS, a content management system, where you can drag and drop points of interest on the map, and it'll bring it to life. So within like we could sit here within five minutes, I could put all the locations on the map of this like compound of where we are and they would all instantly pop up on your phone. So that just allows for these like dynamic environments like tracks that go from an empty parking lot to, you know, a hundred team trailers, mobile one activation here, concert over here and that are in different places every year. We can just quickly bring that to life. And that, that's something that wasn't achievable before either A, because it was way too expensive to do because you'd have to like custom code everything. You'd have to collect all the information, put it in. We've just tried to like streamline that entire process and make it effortless to bring that to life and, and cost effective. Yeah, no, that's good. And it's just not concept. You guys have it. Where was the first place you used it? My home track, I grew up in Wisconsin. So Road America is like an hour north of 
Milwaukee. And that was kind of like our first testing ground where we um, got permission from them to kind of like use their facilities to build it. And then our, our biggest customer to date is actually where I, where I finished second is uh, Sebring oh, Raceway. That's um, one of our biggest customers. They've been very supportive. Um, we have a, you know, a very healthy relationship and uh, they've really let us use their grounds to learn, innovate and improve our tech and, and just keep getting better. Yeah, I think on that other podcast that you were on, he mentioned something with drones, but there's no like camera aspect of this yet or no no at some point yeah, like maybe we, we want to build a foundation where that stuff can be integrated eventually right they, they will have drones that follow the car the cars even at 190 miles an hour i 100 oh, yeah. I, I think the technology exists right now right now we have helicopters um that are oh okay cars, that so. makes more sense so but that's just for just for camera angles right or yeah that, exactly yeah. but um fpvs though are ridiculous now i mean yeah. we, we had a shoot for a music video and the thing was doing 70 miles an hour. You know? Yeah, it's insane. There's no question, like you're saying, that they're going to follow the cars and there's going to be like one for every car and there's going to be all these different angles. The footage we're going to get in the next like 10 years with that technology is going to be mind blowing. Are you curious a little bit with, so for, so AI, right? Everything they do with that is fucking boring text and just like boring shit, like LinkedIn posts. It's just boring. Yeah. I want to know if they're, well, I already know. It's just a matter of time. It's like cell phones, Call, text, email. Mm-hmm. Then it's call, text, email, pictures. Then it's pictures, and then it's makeup, and then it's try on your clothes, and then it's try on your glasses, and then yeah. it's games, and then right. So, do you th- have any thoughts on AI for cars, or if they're gonna like drive cars or assist you guys, or you know, I, there's softwares now, yeah, you know, which is technically somewhat AI, but it's not really. It's software, but it's not evolving or, or learning by itself. Do you have any thoughts on that? Have you thought about that at all? Yeah, so really interesting. I just had a conversation the other day. There's this, it's called the Autonomous Challenge, um, and it's like indie cars, open wheel formula oh, let's cars. Let's see if we can pull that up. Too. Um, and they, it is a new series. They're developing the tech, and it's a bunch of like, not like stu- not just students that are involved, but like very experienced people that are help driving that innovation. And I talked to someone the other day because my industry is very against it, most people because they think it eliminates drivers and that sort of thing. But someone had a great point. He's like, it doesn't eliminate drivers. It helps protect drivers. It helps do a lot of things. We know that if a car is like something breaks and it's about to hit at a right angle, maybe it can kick in to like turn the car a certain way that protects the driver, right? There's like so many like safety things that that could help like bring safety to the next level and just help make like the on-track action even better with like some assists or stuff like that. I think there's a need for it. Obviously, there's already a lot of money going into the development of that, like on the streets. There's going to be an element of it in racing. There already is, and that's just going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, people still play chess. Yeah. And a computer can beat you. (laughs) Yeah. It can definitely beat all of us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it was like 30 years ago when the computer beat a human at. Yeah. Maybe not 30, maybe it was 15, but it's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a minute. Computer's way smarter. The thing about AI is it's way smarter and way dumber at the same time. That's the problem with it. <laughs> that's, that's a good it's way to put it. It's not overall smart. Yeah. It's just also dumb. Like it doesn't get everything. Mm-hmm. So now it's dumb. You know, <laughs> it's like you got to, it's like, yeah. it's one or the other, you know? Yeah. And I think, I mean, Tesla was probably the first and Elon is the first one too. They, they were so, um, I don't know if you agree with this, but I, I think Tesla is a self-driving company. I don't think they're an electronic vehicle company. Like, yeah. I, I don't think anything they do has really anything to do with EVs in terms of saving the environment. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's more of a tech. It's a test for technological advancement in cars. Yeah. And uh, that's just my opinion. And I won't go further because I already went on rants about this. And, <laughs> <laughs> on the last episode, you probably, if you listen to that one, if you're a car person, maybe you listen to both, but yeah, then you got my spiel. Uh, but I think that's really interesting too. Uh, the thing is, if a car sees all cars 
are going to be interconnected. Yeah. So there's going to be way less accidents if that happens. Yeah. I would assume like it's going to stop you from hitting somebody. Yeah. Right now, I just I don't think that technology is far enough. Like, for instance, like on my BMW X3 the other day, I was like merging across lanes and it like aggressively jerked the wheel to the left and to the point where like the car got a little like loose. If that was maybe like <laughs> not a professional driver in the seat there, that could have been bad. I think there's like some of those scenarios where like it doesn't always do the right thing and it gets confused. But I think there's no question like down the road, like with sensors and this technology, it's all going to be working together flawlessly and sure stuff is going to happen in like very unique situations, but just kind of like part of evolution and, and going through that process. Yeah. Yeah. I, did you, did you know that people are trying to kill their families with Teslas? <laughs> I thought I saw in uh, an article. on that. So uh, sure. I thought it was a one-off, Yeah, but according to the article, it's not. Yeah. It's that. So then th- from that, if you want to go into that, just Google it. But from that spurred my idea of people are going to use Teslas and automatic driving cars as mm. just excuses for committing suicide, killing their yeah. families. I mean, it's it's crazy. Like this story was of a guy who tried to kill his family by driving the Tesla off of the cliff. Oh, is that in California? Yeah. Yeah. OK. It seems so crazy. Like it seems like it's full. It's definitely fake. They just yeah. added this Tesla went off the road. Yeah. And they added this thing to get clicks. Yeah. But the cop said that that's what happened, and he's seen that too many times. Yeah. What the fuck? I mean, there are things that are going to come from this that we can't even imagine right now, right? Things that are just like over our head at the moment that, you know, once it becomes more of the norm and more of the masses, like some some crazy shit's going to happen. Yeah, dude. And well, that tells you, you got to stick to cars and podcasts because- You know, if you work in tech like these fucking assholes do, <laughs> you want to kill your family. It's like, yeah. dude, it's like, stop, like, Google, lay off Google a little bit, and, yeah. you know, it's a search works. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> uh, you don't need to drive your family off a cliff. Yeah, exactly. So my search is half a second faster, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, damn, boy. <laughs> yeah, man, that's 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 cool. So, yeah, I, I, I want to go into this just a little bit, just because we brushed over it slightly. Yeah. In terms of just because I'm a meditator myself yep. and been doing it for about four or five years, is there anything specific that you like to do? Were you instructed to do it in the course that you took or is this just for you thing? And are you doing guided? Are you doing not guided? What are you doing with that in terms of uh, mindfulness? And Yeah, so um, I'll talk a little bit about the performance class I did. One of the techniques is very interesting. So you have these keywords. I mean, when I was racing, mine was like calm, confident, committed, hungry, intense, fearless, flawless, and in command. And the idea is to get the perfect amount of aggression and the perfect amount of calm that leads to a flow state. But how you achieve this is through visualization. So each word that I just said, you lay down, you close your eyes, and and you, you make a room. So door number one, calm. Like, what does calm look like? You open that door. To me, what makes me calm? Like, am I, is it a beach? I'm doing this. Right? Is it the waves crashing? And that's how you do the first one. So eventually the idea is if you visualize it enough, you can just say that word or think it, and that feeling will overwhelm you. So it's almost like those like nine words I just said coming together to create the perfect optimization for calm aggression so I can be in a flow state, so I can focus and go. And it's it's one of those things you got to practice every day religiously. That's to answer part one. That's a, a big thing that I do and a big thing we, we focus on through that program. So if you're sitting there, so when do you meditate personally yourself? Do you is that what you're doing or you do meditation just on your own? I try and like visit my my rooms. Oh, like, okay, you like, visit your rooms. Yeah, yeah like yeah, yeah. in the morning I'll do like a wake up meditation and then try and like 
visit my rooms. How quick. many minutes? How long do you do that for? Uh, it, it depends on the day. Like sometimes I'll do like a 20 minute. Sometimes I'll do a quick five minute. Um, and sometimes same. I won't meditate for like two weeks. Sometimes it like falls away and I, I start to get frustrated with things. I'm not as like calm you, and you focused. You feel it, right? Because I, oh, yeah. I feel it he- like a lot. What overwhelms me is how amazing meditation is. And we all know it. And we just don't do it because we're lazy. Not even that we're lazy. Maybe it's laziness. I don't know what it is. But I get such benefit from it. And I find myself not doing it for like a month. And I find myself getting very frustrated with like things that are going on in the business and life. And I'm like, if I just did this, it would help so much. But I just, I'm like, no, I need to get work done or I need to go do this or do that. And it's just like gets shuffled to the bottom of the priority list. And it just amazes me that I know it's like the key and I just don't sometimes respect it enough to do it. I think off the bat, most people don't know what it feels like to feel great every day. Yeah. I know what it feels like because <laughs> I'm my food that I eat is meal prep, even if I don't meal prep. Yeah. I eat chicken, broccoli, a potato, ground beef, steak. That's what I eat. Yeah. Automatically, that's dialed. Then I do my meditation. That's an add, more of an add-on. Yeah. But I'm working out every day. People don't know what it feels like to feel good. They don't know the next level. Like if you right now cut out processed, most processed food, worked out for 25 minutes a day and meditated for... 60 seconds i think even one minute yeah you just did those three things even that would be a five percent improvement but you would feel it yeah so like you're saying when you fall off meditation which i have i think i fell off for about eight months did it for a couple years intensely fell off for about eight months then i got back and i had this one day it's kind of similar to flow state experience Mm. i had this one day where i swear to god i didn't have a thought Mm. and it was i don't know if it was if that was real or not yeah but that's all I want to achieve now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if that exists, that I want it. But if I never did the work to get there for a couple of years, yeah. I would have never known. Yeah. And now I'm treating meditation differently and trying to go into it more. Mm-hmm. I really want to do a retreat. I yeah. think that would be great. Yeah, definitely just get fully immersed in it, learn no more, phone, take it to the next level. No bullshit. Yeah. 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 Yep. But I think that's what it is, man. We get, it's it also, you know, I heard Louis C.K. talking about this. He was like, it also feels good to just fucking fuck off, you know? Like, it feels good to just, like, yeah. eat some chips and yeah. just, like, it doesn't feel good, but yeah. it, at least your mind is, like, at ease. Your mind's yeah. like, Duh, yeah. And if you have that foundation and you do, you know, good stuff 90% of the time, you have that 10% of the time where you just, like, treat yourself a little bit, that's that's fine. That's a good thing, right? Yeah. But you got to be doing the 90. You can't can't just, like, do that 90 and do the, the good things 10% of the time. So are you eating, like, Chick-fil-A before you race? Like, do you have a <laughs> diet, too, or something? Um, or, like, is that as important, or? It, it's super important because we want to be as light as, as possible on the car. Um, oh, okay. I, I will kind of touch on this just because you talked about like feeling 5% better. So something I noticed like as I've been making my transition from driver to entrepreneur and, you know, sitting in front of a computer 12 hours a day making like video calls, that sort of thing. I haven't been working out as much like before when I was really racing full time. I had a trainer. I was working out five days a week, sometimes twice a day. And I was just so dialed. And now like my fitness has really has fallen off, like to the point where it's like one of those things like, hey, I need to fix this because I'm starting to not have as much energy during the day. My mind isn't working as well, like getting more anxiety sometimes when I work. And it's just amazing because I've always I've always been an athlete. And I would say this is probably like one of those like moments where like the least I've worked out in my entire life. And it's crazy, the feeling. And yeah, there's like, you can say you're getting a little bit older, blah, blah, blah. But no. whatever thing you want to say. Yeah, whatever you want to say. But if I know if I went back to what I was doing, I would feel that 10%, you know, better. So 
So it's it's a wake up call. You got sometimes like that shit happens, and you got to let it happen to appreciate, you know, what that was doing for you because you just felt good all the time. So you didn't like appreciate that. But now when you kind of like feel like shit, sometimes you start to like really appreciate what you had when you were like dialed. It's when you're sick. Yeah. When you're sick, all you want to do is be healthy. Yeah. When you sit, when you're sick, you regret all those chips, all those yep. days you didn't work out, everything. Yep. And if you do, though, do the proper, I'm a little bit crazy with it sometimes, but the proper supplementation, the yep. proper protein and diet and exercise and all that's mindfulness and everything in mind, body, all that stuff. Yeah. You know, you you realize like you become, you, you're you in that percentile now, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, I mean, I don't want to break it, you know? And then once you do break it, then you get used to the new version. Yeah, exactly. And then you kind of <laughs> forget what the old version was like. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully you have a wake up call, kind of like, you know, yeah. what you're describing a little bit. I heard, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Chris Williamson, but he's a podcaster. Yep. And uh, yeah, he was a club promoter, really interesting guy. And uh, he was talking about, he's like, well, when I started my podcast, I just wanted to be a professional. Yeah. So I wanted to do what a professional did. Yeah. So what you're, where you're at now, what you did to become a pro race car driver is not what you do to become an entrepreneur. You know, you, there is no, you know, team around you of all these people. It's just not the same thing. No, no. So you then have to become a professional entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, which is a different thing. Whole, di- whole different mindset. <laughs> it can help. It helps yeah. what you did before. Yep. Uh, in terms of knowing business and sponsorships and all that yep. and connections. But yeah. And that's probably where I don't want to go too far because I talk about this a lot. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. But that's kind of where LinkedIn comes in too yep. for you. Yep. And that's how we ended up connecting. And for anybody who wants to get into LinkedIn, I do free LinkedIn webinars. I just did one last night for the yeah. first time. So I help some people get into LinkedIn. And, uh, it's very powerful. Yep. And so what has your experience been like on there? I didn't use LinkedIn maybe for, for like I had one for the last five years and I really didn't use it. I would check in on it every now and then. And then I just recently got into it. And a, a member on my team has been really helping me use it as like a networking tool. And I've always had a really hard time like telling my story and like getting my voice out there just because like I have a bit of ADD and I just have like thoughts all over the place. And sometimes it's hard to like, you know, piece them together. And she really like helped come in and like, all right, let's like, let's talk to me about your story. Like, let me help you write some stories and let's get, let's get some content out there and let's start like talking to the industry. And, and I realized with what we're trying to do with tracking, it's, it's very disruptive to the market and we're going to have to influence people. We're going to have to get insight from industry leaders. We're going to have to do a lot to bring it to the next level. And this has been extremely helpful because we've been doing some posts, people have been commenting, there's like very healthy dialogue and it's helped us as we're building our product you know, like really understand some of the needs and pain points and that sort of thing. So I think it's a great platform for that. And it's great just for what we're trying to, you know, accomplish right now as we're going through sales cycles and just trying to listen and talk to people who can maybe help us become better and just potential partnerships and like how we met and we're here today. Yeah. Um, you know, great opportunity for us as a, as a company to be in a very professional podcast, talk about some fun stuff. Hey, you said it, not me. So, so I, hey, I said it. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I I just, it's been a great tool for us and having, you know, that person on my team has been very helpful too. They've really helped like guide me and lead me to like be better on, on LinkedIn. I'm going to give you my off the cuff unsolicited advice right now. Yeah. If you can get out there in front of a car, take that LinkedIn post and speak it. Yeah. You're going to (laughs) kill, you know? Yeah. Because there's, it's not there. Yeah. Like if you're talking about business advice, but yeah. you're standing next to a five hundred thousand dollar car, yeah, that's a business lesson right in itself, right? So it's like, <laughs> yeah, with you, 
especially if you can get on camera, like there's founders that I'm working with right now. It's yeah. like, we're doing testimonial videos for them and things like that. And it's just, they don't want to be on camera. If you can, mm-hmm. it will drastically, drastically, as you know, yep. increase all of your results across the entire board. So yep. you already have the pictures. Those are cool, but I, dude, I want to see some videos. Video of you content. Out there. Yeah. yeah. Throw in a lav. Yeah. One camera. Yeah. Have my, let me, Brandon, come out and shoot prof- yeah. a real pro. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Not a pod pro like me. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, that would be really cool. Um, But this is just the beginning, man. You just got yeah. started really with LinkedIn and, yeah, yeah. and um, you know, turning the, you know, turning the, putting, you know, fuel in the fire. Yeah. And that's the direction we're going. We, we understand we need more video content. Like we need more it's of that stuff. It's just the world so. now. That's it's the world. And it's like, we're trying to influence the market, right? And I need to be able to, I need people to look me in the eye and be like, hey, that guy has good intentions. He has a good vision. Right, that sort of thing. Like people need to trust me because I'm trying to disrupt an industry. Right? You need to. Put, you so. actually, especially for you, you got to educate the shit out of people. Yeah, because they don't even know what they don't know, and that's the thing with a lot of industries, or even like this EV company yep. that we're going to work with, which is like I'm like, you probably need to run a podcast for the next three to five years, just so the general public has a general idea of what yep. the fuck you're talking about. And with you, it's it's all business to business, right? In terms of tracking and yeah, for now, and... yeah, all, we want it to be free for the fans. Um, you know, at, at some point there'll be like in-app purchases they can like. Dude, go and that'd do, be but... so sick with go kart tracks in your yeah. backyard to do it with that, oh, yeah. and then have like a little timed. <laughs> yeah, that would be sick, man. So I, I've I've, really I've always had this vision. We have a house up in Connecticut. It's on a lake, and it's kind of like up in the mountains. And we have this like trail that goes down to the water and up to the house. I've always wanted to create like a little hill climb, like go kart track. I just. I think it'd be the coolest thing. Dude, I want to go kart so bad right now, bro. Like, I want a quad again or something. Well, uh, hit me up when you're, we'll meet bet- halfway between the city and uh, here. I'll and just we'll take go the go-kart. road. Yeah, yeah, dude. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ripping go karts down the road. Yeah, exactly. I just went to the go kart track in Jersey. I don't know if you heard about this. Is thing. that the new multi level one? Yeah. How so is it? I ripped it. I went, yeah. So we went, it was like eight o'clock, man. Yeah. And uh, they closed at 11. Yeah. And it was a few weeks back. And we get there and they're like, you're fucked. Like, there's yeah. no way you're getting in. Like, because there was such a long like queue of people to get on. Track. They don't take reservation. They might now, but they are not at the stage of reservations yet. So it's first comes first serve. And if you put your name, they only have a certain amount of races. Yeah. So if you're in, you're in. Yeah. And if you're not, you're not. Yeah. Unless people drop out or something, or like they don't want to wait anymore, and then yeah, you kind of exa- shuffle off. Yeah. They because they, they yeah. don't know when they're gonna go. Yeah. So what we had to do was wait right by the cashiers, and we would just sit there. And we just my friend just stood there and waited and then they go, Hey, we got three slots for this race. You want to hey, go? Boom. Go. <laughs> boom. So it's my friend. It was his birthday. Yeah. It's me and his friend. And, uh, we're in the middle grade, mid grade. So mm-hmm. the, so the highest race has the turbo has like, you click a button in it. It's like a turbo yeah. or whatever, supercharged. And then the middle is, is 20 miles an hour, 15, yeah, which feels pretty fast indoors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, definitely. And then the lower, I don't know. Lower one is like kids or whatever you have. Yeah. And, uh, it was fun, man. I it bet. was fun. It was a, it's in, it's crazy. I didn't, I was driving on the track and didn't realize there was other tracks. Yeah. Like that's how big it is. Uh-huh. Cause I didn't even get out of my peripheral vision. It also, it's two stories, right? The track goes up, down. Yeah. So yeah. you can go on the top level and watch yeah. and which is really cool. But the thing is like, as you know, you can't see cause you get the fucking helmets on. So you don't yeah. really know who's who you got to like have yeah. a reflective vest or some shit. Yeah. But uh, I think we got. I don't really. So we went through the race. I was passing motherfuckers yeah. <laughs> like I was fucking Max Hanratty in this bitch. You know what I'm saying? I was like you out there. Got a little uh, Ricky Bobby I, in I here. I felt like, yeah, dude, I got a little Ricky. Exactly. There's a little Ricky. A little, a little Ricky. Ricky. Uh, so I was channeling. I was channeling. 
from Talladega Nights, full channeling. I didn't realize how much kind of G-force, there's no G-force because it's like 10 miles an hour, but how much force there is taking a turn full speed yeah. in a little car like that. You just don't realize how fast you're going until you had to take a turn. Yeah. Because in the straightaways, you're 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 doing your thing. But yeah. so, but you know the deal with these. Don't hit the brake, gas only, yeah. even through the turns, never yeah. hit the brake. Yeah. So that's what we did. So we get out of the race, we go and we're waiting and looking at the TVs to check our score. And they come yeah. up to us and they go, Hey, uh, we didn't track your race. We didn't time your race. It was my friend's fucking birthday. Yeah. I was supposed to beat him. Yeah. And they didn't time the yeah. race. I think he still won. That was going to be your gift to him. Was, yeah. Uh, my, my, my ass whooping on the track. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Happy birthday, <laughs> motherfucker. That's what I got you. Yeah. But uh, my one friend, I tried, I, uh, he was, we were going back and forth for like five minutes mm. and uh, somebody uh, hit the brakes in front of him. And was, yeah. So he got fucked just <laughs> off of that. Um, but they gifted us a race each. So, oh, nice. so, so I get another yeah, race. Head back there and. Whip his ass another time. That's it. Uh, worth yeah. it, I would say. Yeah. Um, it was thirty bucks for that race. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. So, th- but I want to do the faster ones. I feel yeah. Like that's it. Get that track. turbo going. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. So, have you? You've. You. So, you haven't done any other stuff like motocross or like any. No. Shit like strictly. That. You're like a driver. You're like a driver as. You're basically a driver, but not a. It's not. It's like a almost like a job. Like it's like your job title more than it is your like life. <laughs> passion i mean it is your life passion but yeah it's not like you grew up like that you know? no no yeah interesting yeah definitely had no interest really i used to go to like races with my dad when i was you know younger and it was always awesome but i was like it was like hey i want to be an astronaut i want to be a race car driver like it's never gonna happen yeah. like let's move on to something else <laughs> i just think it's so cool to me that you did it in such a short amount of time yeah and that was always being the underdog a little bit in the beginning was always nice because like you would run times close to like the really good drivers and like people look at you like for Max not having a lot of time, like he's crushing it. And then you kind of get like further along and now you have the expectation to be the one like crushing it. So it's kind of like this weird, like underdog that kind of shifts into like an expectation mm-hmm. of like, and then once you're not anymore, then now the pressure's on. Yeah. I, I think about tattoo. Cause I, I've, uh, I'm an artist myself. I interviewed a lot of rappers and things like that. Yeah. I interviewed many, a few, at least with uh, millions of plays. Mm-hmm. It's has to be harder if you have millions of plays to make a good song than it is when you're nobody. Yeah. Like they, it's, they all make it really hard on the themselves bar when there's no bar. <laughs> yeah. If you just got a million downloads on your last track, dude, Yeah. imagine your next one gets 470. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm like, that's the pressure. The pressure's <laughs> at the top, mm. not you at the bottom being yeah. a little bitch, yeah. you know, like, so that, so that must have been a mindset shift for you too, of like kind of one day you're just a pro. Yeah. And then there's also the younger guy that was, that's in my shoes that's coming up. And, yeah, that, that and you be- see him. And that and beats you. Like, yeah. and, you and you're kind of like, uh, <laughs> you're like under your breath, you're like a little frustrated and everything. But it's, uh, it's part of the evolution, right? It's yeah. part of the process. So, so, but you're not a car guy outside of. You're, you don't. I like, mean, I yeah. love cars. Like, yeah. I, I just don't know a lot you about cars. You have a dream cars. car even or? So I love like vintage Porsches. I actually love like vintage cars more than like modern day um, cars. I would yeah. love to have like an old like 911 or like a 993 yeah, or something. Yeah, like 993, that. like like Rear something rank, along yeah. those lines. Yeah, but like I guess I can't look at like a car and be like, "That's a 78." That year they had a twin Some cam, Barracuda like, with the supercharged. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know that stuff, and and also I'm not very good like. Like as a mechanic, like yeah, I could do like some basic things, like change my oil, but like, and I know about like the like the engineering side of the car because we had to know about that to like work with our engineer. But like, 
I'm not like taking apart a car and putting it back together. Like that's just not my skill set. Dude, and those cars have like the most specific torque in ever. Oh yeah. Yeah. I you would... do one thing wrong and the whole balance is off and it's incredible, yeah. man. It's probably within centimeters on each side in terms of height of the car. Well, when we do like a setup change, it'll be like a millimeter. I can feel Whoa. a millimeter of if I, we do a millimeter in the front, which like tilts the car like this, like I can feel that on track. So. Holy shit. So it's just to you show got you. spidey senses big time for this. So what makes a driver good is their ass being able to feel everything and have this like connection and be able to like process it. Like, why did this happen at this point? Go talk to your engineer. Right. And, and that's when that like dance happens where like you tell him what you're feeling and, and he like makes adjustments to the car and then you go back out on track, you test it, you're like better, worse, that sort of thing. I've always been fascinated of that side of things, the engineering thing, like side of things. There's something really cool about like, hopping in a half a million dollar race car and like getting it to be fast as hell because they don't start out like that like and, and that's what a lot of people don't see from the outside the setup of the car is so important you could put lewis hamilton in a shitty setup car and any driver on the field would smoke him. like so it's it's so important to like that side of things the engineering the setup and, and that make your life easier when you're out on track details yeah with anything professional details this is works for everything mm -hmm. if you're not focused on the details you're not a pro yep in everything because that's because once you've dialed in all the fundamentals yep and you found your style and your voice or your yep. driving style in your case mm -hmm. all there's left is details details and the devil's right in there yeah he's waiting for you especially when you're doing uh, you know a 24-hour race right like mm. let's say you're like gaining like a tenth of a second per lap think about what that comes out to you after you know 24 hours like something that's that small. so that's where the flow is so important that's because where the you flow can't is. think about yeah. the second you think about the tenth of a second you've lost yeah. the tenth of a second yeah and there's so much information we're processing when we're out there we're giving like fuel numbers back to the pit box we're giving like tire pressure numbers back to the pit box we're like, trying to like calculate how many laps of fuel we have left like we're starting to like understand like okay my next pit stops in like 10 laps i'm stuck behind this car do i do to do a risky move to pass them or do I just kind of sit behind him and like bring it in safe? Like there's so much that's going on. Like it's truly like a game of chess at, you know, 190 miles an hour. Just like what you need to be thinking about while you're out there is so much more than just driving, which is fascinating to me. Got me really sucked in. Yeah, I'm, I'm sucked in too. Now, dude. I wanna, I'm going to start. <laughs> like, damn, I'm going to be a race car driver. Dude, I'm mine. I mean, I've <laughs> more so taken to the streets. Brandon can tell you about that. <laughs> yeah, I can. <laughs> <laughs> he got he i'm like whipping him around a little bit he's like yo bob you're not wearing a seatbelt." <laughs> <laughs> we already exposed me on yeah. that on this podcast but yeah. i'm like uh i just i learned how to drive hills that's why i can't yeah. drive a track but i can yeah. drive on a hill drive on a hill i know how to do that i know where to break my yeah. hills my hills so now we got your story we know what you do what's the future looking like what do you tracking are you going to keep driving you know you're not driving as much now but that's really the reason that you got into this in the first place so do you have a future in driving uh yeah i do i think um so the reason that i you know took this break is because to win races you, you need money you need to be with the best team you need to be with the best drivers and when you're doing things on a shoestring budget like sure you can pull off the occasional miracle but there's a good chance you're not going to win races and you know, to just go out there and spend all this money and just like go through the motions and, and not have a really a shot at winning is, you know, wasn't really doing it for me anymore. So that's where like the vision kind of came to like, if, listen, if I can build this business up, I can not only like leave my mark on the sport by bringing innovation to the fan experience, 
right? Creating a better fan experience for all, help helping create a healthier motorsports. But I can, you know, put myself in a position where I can fund my team, I can bring in the best drivers, have the best equipment, and and try and win races. So I'd rather, you know, take a year or two off and hustle my ass off on tracking and get it to a very healthy state and then go back to racing and, and really give it, you know, everything we have and, uh, and be in a position to win races. And I think that's all that matters. If you're out there just to be out there, like, yeah, it's fun. It like gets the, you know, adrenaline pumping, but it's not why we're all here. We're here to win races. We're here to be champions any way we can. And that, that's what I want. That's like, when, when I look at my future, I look at a very healthy track king and every track across the globe. And I look at myself in a race car winning some of the biggest races. And that's, that's my, my dream, my vision. And we're early steps, but, uh, that's, that's what I'm striving for. I love it. This might sound like a stupid question, but, um, I'm going to steal it from somebody just because I really like this question. Was it worth it? As far as getting into racing, everything that you do right now, racing into tracking, like, was it worth it to do this? All this. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it because of just how hard this, the struggle is. Um, but I wouldn't change a thing. You know, if I could go back, like, it's so easy to say I would have done this differently. I wouldn't have. I worked my ass off to get, you know, where I got in racing and, and the fact that like this business idea came up and I've gotten a lot of no's over the last five years and had a lot of problems I've had to solve. And I've wanted to quit so many times. I can't tell you. I, I think like when you're destined to do something in the universe, the universe has a way of not letting you walk away from it. And that's kind of what happened. There were, you know, many times I wanted to quit racing. I wanted to quit the business. And right when I'm about to like quit, like something nudges me and is like, hey, let's talk. And that leads to an opportunity, which then reignites this, which like, it's just really wild. And I've had like maybe four or five moments like that over the past four or five years where like, I was just ready to quit. I was just like, I can't like, I can't do this anymore. This is destroying me like in many ways. And it just would not let me quit. And now we're in a place where it's not going to get any easier. It's only going to get harder, but there's a chance to do something really special. And, and I'm all in, I'm fully committed. I'm all chips on the table and I'll sit on my porch as an old man someday. And whether we make it or not, I'll look back and I'll be pretty proud of like the decisions I made and what I did, not sitting there like, I wish I would have done this, wish I would have done that. I wish I would have went for this big thing and I didn't. So that's, that's my answer there. Perfect note to end on. Yeah. Thank you for doing this today. <clears throat> really appreciate it, Max. And uh, make sure, so where can people, do you mind if people message you, reach out to you on social media? If you yeah. don't mind, uh, just let them know where they can find you. We'll have it all in the description. too. I would say LinkedIn or um, Instagram works are, are two good places. LinkedIn's a little more professional. Um, Instagram's a little more like for friends and like fans, that sort of thing. So either of those. And um, from there, we can connect and uh, have some good discussions. Anything else you want to plug or like tracking or I know it's B2B. So I don't know if anybody's li those people are listening. Hopefully they are. Who knows? We really don't know. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I hope someday that um, if there's any race fans listening that you you go to a racetrack and you see just how great the at track experience can be with tracking. So that's my goal to make it make it amazing, make make it effortless, make it healthy. And um, hopefully someday you all use it. Thanks, Max. Appreciate you. Buddy. Thank you. Thanks P for doing pleasure this. being on. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Brandon. Thank you, dude. You thank know, you, Brandon. Bro. You got it. Thanks for helping us out, brother. And uh, on that note, thank you to everybody listening as well. And if you're listening to the audio, appreciate you there. We also have the video version on YouTube. And uh, I say it every time, and I'll say it again. Thanks for tuning in. And we're on every single platform, even the ones nobody uses. All right. We'll see you on the next one. Peace.